You know, I've been crossing bridges all my life as a elementary school student in Cottonwood, Texas. All right, that, that demands a little bit of geographical explanation. Cottonwood, Texas is just outside of Cross Plains. Does that help? <laughs> Cross Plains is relatively close to Abilene. Now we're on the same page. All right, so as an elementary school student in Cottonwood, Texas, where my dad pastored a little country church, my brother and I often would go down to the nearby creek and fish. It was barely deep enough for you to be able to fish or to have fish for that matter, but uh, it was a deep enough ravine that the people in the county had built one of those old wooden bridges with no sides on it. And occasionally we would get our line caught in a tree on the other bank, and so we would have to go across the bridge and uh, loose our line. That was one of the inconsequential bridges that I've crossed. I've crossed some that had a little more consequence to them. I've crossed bridges that separate cities. There's, if you're a Duck Dynasty fan, which I'm not sure we have many of those in West Texas, but in East Texas, those guys could run for president and win. But between the cities of Monroe, Louisiana, and West Monroe, Louisiana, there's a bridge, and I've crossed that bridge. There's another bridge that I've not actually crossed. I've gone underneath it. It separates two different parts of a state, the state of Michigan to be exact, the Mackinac Straits Bridge, probably the most consequential bridge that I've ever crossed is the one that connects two continents. In Istanbul, modern-day Turkey, along the Bosphorus banks or the Bosphorus Straits, uh, there are great historical palaces and uh, different places there. But when our tour group went to Istanbul, we drove across the Bosphorus Bridge that connects Europe and Asia. I didn't know at the time, but I found out later that that particular bridge, at least the idea of it in the early, uh, early presentation of that bridge, dates all the way back to 4th century B.C., when people with boats would come up and tie them alongside each other so that people could move from one side of, of that landmass to the other that is called Asia. My point in that little trip down memory lane is to reiterate this truth. Bridges need to have a connection point. A bridge without a connection point is not a bridge, whatever else it happens to be. We might call it a glorified plank, or we might call it a, an exercise in wasting money, but a bridge needs to fill a strategic need. And in order for that to happen, it has to connect on either side. And it's with that in mind that we go now to the final of our series where we introduce the theological foundation for a vision that says that we will connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. This theological foundation today comes from Mark chapter 1, so I invite you to turn back there. We've actually, by the time we get through this message, we'll have covered the entire first chapter of Mark where we find Jesus is the ultimate bridge builder. As he connects people of this world with the love and the life that is his, that he embodies as the Son of God, Jesus teaches us something about those to whom we must 
connect. This is not necessarily a strategy sermon as much as it is that theological foundation that says there are key connection points that Jesus adopted and those should inform our own. So we come to this first chapter, and here's the first. We're going to find three different, uh, three different connection points that Jesus lays out for us. The first one is that he connects with those who exhibit a spiritual need. It should not surprise us when we come to discuss the life of Jesus Christ. It should not surprise us that we recognize that Jesus went to church. Well, I, I probably should explain that because first century Jewish life didn't see church the way we see it today. To be exact, Jesus regularly visited synagogues where these, on the outskirts away from Jerusalem and the central temple worship. In these communities, they would form synagogues, little gathering places where those Jewish people would come and they would do their uh, religious exercises, if you will. And Jesus went into that. Modern-day terminology, we say Jesus would have gone to church. But the question that we might want to ask ourselves is, why did Jesus choose to go to the synagogue? I would suggest to you that the reason is not. In other words, he did not go just to find this depository of holy people, morally holy at least, Sometimes people look in our day, 21st century, not 1st century Judaism, but 21st century El Paso life, there are those who are out there who look at the church and say, those are just a bunch of people who think that they're better than everybody else. If you think that, then you clearly have not met me. Because I'm not any better than anybody else. Matter of fact, I'm trying to catch up with most of you. We're not a gathering, a depository of these morally holy people. It's not who we are. That's not why we come to church. Or at least it shouldn't be, should not be why we come to church. It certainly was not why Jesus went to church. Let me show you how I believe that's true. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21, this is immediately after he has called his disciples. We talked about that last week. Verse 21 says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Here's what I think we find here. Jesus steps into the local church in our terminology today. He steps into that synagogue and he encounters people who are spiritually needy. He steps in and he begins to teach. And their response to his teaching needs to be uh, something that we, we notice and that we embrace. He didn't go there and teach them and they say, oh, well, I've heard all of that stuff before. They probably had heard a lot of that stuff before, but they didn't hear it the way Jesus said it, and they didn't hear it at the deepest levels of who they are. Uh, they hadn't heard it that way before. Jesus touched into that deepest part of the spiritual need that they had. I would suggest to you that our world today is full of those kind of people. People who need something to move them beyond where their life seems to be stuck spiritually. We think sometimes that we go to church and just going to church seems to make it all okay. But our churches are full of spiritually needy people. 
doesn't make you a bad person if that's true of you today. It's just the reality of the way it is because the reality is that our sin condition and the way that the world weighs in on us often leaves us spiritually dry, spiritually hungry, spiritually needy. And that provides a connection point for Jesus and for us as a church. This week on Monday, as we were preparing for a funeral here at church, I got a phone call from my brother who informed me that my mother was being taken by ambulance to the hospital. You know, most of you know that she is a cancer patient and she's been fighting cancer for years now. And um, that day, early in the morning, my brother had called her to check on her as he normally does on Monday mornings. And he said she was somewhat just incoherent at times and just relatively weak sounding and he said something's not right and so the ambulance was called after my cousin went over there and my brother and his wife loaded up and drove down from Oklahoma City to be with them. My mom spent the week in the hospital. We're grateful that for those of you who prayed for her, I say thank you. She's better. She's back home now. She's not well yet, but she is doing better. Here's what the doctor said. I I, I give all of that to, to highlight this thing. My brother said that as the doctor came in to explain to them what had happened, It had happened the exact same way back in February and into March when Teresa went and stayed for a month. But he said what happened was this. Her body has been fighting cancer, and then with the chemotherapy that she's been taking for a while and now the new therapy that they have her on, uh, her body just kind of got behind and trying to, her system trying to fight off the various things that were wrong just got behind and she was depleted from some of the, the basic things she needed to fight that. And so her condition as her body tried to fight it and couldn't keep up, it just continued to digress until finally it reached the point that she had to have some kind of help. And so they put her in the hospital. They hooked her up to various IVs. They did all kinds of treatments with her. She was depleted and she needed an intervention. If that doesn't capture the spiritual condition of most of the world that we know, I don't know what does. The curse of sin. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and and the choice that they made to be God themselves instead of to serve God and to be in relationship with him as he had designed them to be and created them to be. That choice that they made has long-reaching effects. It reaches every one of us, every person who ever draws breath except for Jesus Christ. Everyone suffers from the curse of sin. And living a life that is marked by sin and living a life in a fallen world takes its toll on us. And at some points, we find ourselves depleted and we can't keep up with the fight. And it's a great time for someone to build a bridge into your life when that's you. Jesus recognizes these people and he steps in with a message It causes them to rock back and say, I've never heard that kind of life before. A connection point. If that's not enough for you, let's look a little further into this little passage. We find another example of Jesus stepping into the lives and connecting with spiritually needy people. Now we go to verse 23 and we read. Before I read that, let me just drop this little uh, preparation thing for you. Uh, In our day, the idea of demon possession 
uh, draws a lot of skepticism from a lot of circles. And I don't know how you feel about demon possession, but I can tell you how the Bible feels about it. It just states it as a matter of course, and it moves right on because it's real. And you could not believe that if you choose, but at least we should consider what Scripture says. And so here's what Scripture says, verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Let me time out. Hold on. Full stop. Where was this man with an unclean spirit? In church. It reminds me of one smart aleck preacher who might have been my dad who said, he said, when you go to look for the devil in church, don't forget to look behind the pulpit. Well, for him, that was true. He should have said that. That doesn't apply here. But let's, <laughs> let's move on. No, let's don't. Let's not kid ourselves. Spiritually needy people populate our churches every Sunday. Just because we come to a building and worship together doesn't mean that we have our act together. Doesn't mean that we're automatically growing spiritually. It doesn't mean that we all of a sudden have life kicked. Many spiritually needy people, even some fighting deep spiritual battles, are in church every week. Verse 23 again, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Jesus saw in this man with an unclean spirit, demonic possession, he saw a connection point. The bridge that he was needed a place to connect, and this man living under the curse and under this particular oppression was a place that desperately needed the love and the life of Jesus Christ. In this world, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And many people in this world are casualties in that battle. I could give you multiple stories out of my own experience where I have been in the presence of what I was sure was a demonic oppression. I don't have time to tell you those stories this morning. I will tell you this. This whole spiritual oppression is a very real thing. And people who suffer like this man was suffering desperately need spiritual help. We are the bridge. We are the ones, you individually and we collectively, are the ones who are called to find connection points where we tie in with the life and the needs of people. And the spiritual need is the one that steps up into the front and we must Get a handle on that. This is not a strategy sermon per se. It's about connection points. But I want to drop this piece of strategy on you. The answer that we take into those connection points with spiritually needy people is the message, the good news, the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ that we find in Scripture. 
We must be committed to the integrity of Scripture. We must handle Scripture well, but we must get the good news of Jesus Christ into the lives of people. Jesus spoke, he taught, and he reached. And people's response to that was, I have never seen anything like this before. My experience is with people who are in spiritual need, when you take truth to them, if they will accept it, it will revolutionize their lives. Our job is to take the good news to those points of connection, spiritually needy people. Yesterday, I had some of those people come to my house. I was minding my own business. Actually, I was in my study at the house, and I was putting some final touches on this sermon. When our doorbell rang, Teresa mysteriously had disappeared and was nowhere to be found. And So... I went and I answered the door, and I was greeted at the door by two young ladies, probably mid-20s, 30s, thereabout. And immediately, they started in with this question. So, are you concerned about what's happening in the world today? That's a trick question. I'll just let you know ahead of time. It's a trick question. Uh, But I answered to this effect, not exactly these words, but close to it, which world are you talking about? Talking about your world? Are you talking about my world? Are you talking about our world? What are you talking about? And it got us into a conversation. I'm not going to go into all the specifics of that conversation, but these people immediately took me to the point of saying, of, of them asking me, what, what's wrong with our world? What are we going to do? And I said, well, here's my concern. I think that the answer to your question is, uh, I don't have to be overly concerned about our world as far as what I see, because I believe that God is still in control. And then I said this, I believe that the curse of sin is responsible for the fallen state of the world in which we live. And that was not exactly what she was expecting someone to say. And so then I decided, let's just go ahead and get real here. And I said, but praise God that Jesus Christ gives me hope because he is the one who comes to redeem this world. And suddenly our conversation was over, I guess. You know, whether you like or don't like my response or those people, here's a reality. People in your neighborhood and mine, in your family and mine, in your office building and mine, in your schoolhouse, I don't have one of those anymore. Those people are spiritually needy. And they need God's people to take the good news of Jesus Christ. They are connection points for us. Here's a second one. The next connection point we find is the one of spiritual need. Excuse me, spiritual need was first. Now we look at the connection point that is physical need. This comes in verses 29 and following. So we read there, and immediately Jesus left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. 
And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus comes, and he now goes into the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She's sick. And so Jesus connects with people who exhibit physical needs. You know, every day, our church sends out a prayer net by email. That is a, a, a list of prayer concerns. We do that every day of the week, except for Saturday and Sunday. And it goes out and it reminds us to be praying for people. I, I would love it. I would love it if one day, just one day in the life of our church going forward, we could have that prayer net go out and have no reason to put any sick people on the list. I'm not saying ignore them. I'm saying I would love it if we had a day that we didn't have anybody in our church who was sick. You ever get tired of sickness in this world? I had a, friend, a deacon in one of the previous churches I served. He had had a heart transplant, and he had fibromyalgia, and he had all kinds of physical malady. He told me one day, you know, Mark, it, the shape I'm in, the age I am, he said, if it doesn't hurt, it just doesn't work. I understand that better now than I did in those days. Had another guy tell me one time it takes courage to get old. Our world is marked by physical pain and physical illness. Jesus sees that apparently as a connection point with people to take to them the love and the life that he brings and that he is. He provides an incredible resource in the face of physical needs. I'm not suggesting that we start our own clinic. You know, there is a Baptist clinic in town that does great work. We support them. I'm not suggesting we duplicate their work here. Neither, everybody listening with both ears, neither am I suggesting that we have a healing service here. That would be my last suggestion as pastor of this church. I get that. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I'm suggesting is that when those people that we find who are physically needy, that we step into their lives with the life and the love of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm taken by this the way Jesus did this healing. No incantations, no candles burning, no liturgical dancing, or none of that 21st century favorite approach of many, which is to slap them on the forehead. None of that. Jesus just walks over to her. He takes her by the hand. He raises her up, and she's healed. There's something about the presence of Jesus when you're ill that matters. A couple of years ago, I had a physical situation that that was beyond anything that I had ever experienced before. I, hope, I, I would hope that I don't have to go through it again, honestly. I started having issues where I was losing control of one of my legs, and I would be standing, and my leg would just stop working, and I would fall down. Or if I was walking, the same thing would happen. And so I, I took a lot of spills in those days, and so I started walking with a cane. That lasted for almost a year. I was preaching sitting in a stool, because I couldn't stand long enough to preach. The doctors tried to figure out what was wrong. They had issues trying to figure out what was wrong. And while they were trying to figure out what was wrong, it, the pain of that just got worse and worse. 
And I thought that I had been through pain before, but that pain was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Finally, the doctors determined that it must have been a virus in my spinal cord. And it was attacking a particular nerve that was causing my leg problems and the pain that came with it. And in the midst of all of that, I had some of God's people, not from my church necessarily, but from an extended circle that I was attached to uh, through some family relationships who came. And they were of that bent that said, if I was having problems with sickness like that, it's because there was sin in my life. Well, clearly there was sin in my life, Uh, just like there's always sin in your life. But I wasn't convinced that I was having problems because of my sin. But... Uh, some other people came to me, some other church people, and said, you know, what we need to do is we need to lay hands on you, we'll pray for you, and then God will take that away from you. And um, I didn't really like a bunch of strangers touching me, to be honest with you, but because it was an extended family thing, they did that, and you know what? It didn't help. It didn't help at all. And some people would say, they said, that that's because my faith was insufficient, That sounds like heresy, but um, here's what it did for me, that whole experience. God allowed pain in my life on a physical infirmity that took me places in my thinking that I never thought I would go. You know, pain has a way of setting in on you, and it can do a number on the way you think. Start thinking irrationally about some options. It's in the midst of those days that I cried out to Jesus. And you know, he didn't take the pain away immediately, but his presence was overwhelming immediately. And he stepped into that situation with me, and I knew his love. And some of the scriptures that I had been quick to quote at hospital bedsides suddenly brought new meaning for me. You see, the reality is that sometimes the physical situations that we're in take us places that we don't ever want to have to go, but it's in those times that we are least in control of our own situation that we are more willing to let Jesus have control. Jesus stepped into the physical need, not just of this one lady, but this whole region worth of people. And the word got out, and people who were hurting physically couldn't wait to get to who he was and where he was. It's a connection point. One of the reasons that Dr. Nichol spends so much of his week at work going to hospitals and making visits with people who are physically ill is because this church recognizes that those are connection points with people who need to know the love and the life of Jesus Christ. So look around. Look in your circles. Who are those people who are suffering? If you don't have the gift of mercy with those people, then you're probably thinking they should just suck it up and get over it. I I, I understand that. I, I, I said that to my kids many times. Just suck it up. That's not very... Christ-like of us. Well, I'm about out of time, so let me give you the third connection point. Jesus connected with those who were spiritually needy, with those who were physically needy, 
And this is the one that might take us a little bit of reflection. He connected with those who were marginalized. They had social and psychological need. This group is embodied in a single person here. Verses 40 and following, And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched him, and he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in the desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This group of marginalized people is embodied in this one guy with leprosy. You see, first century Jewish life, even before first century Jewish life, leprosy was a social death sentence. It was probably a death sentence in most cases anyway, literally. But if you were diagnosed with leprosy in those days, you were forced to live outside of the community. It was so contagious a disease that they couldn't take a chance of anybody else catching it and then just wiping them all out. And so if you were seen to have leprosy, even at the beginning stages, you were forced away from your family, away from your town, away from your village, away from your religious life, away from society and put out into the desert to live a life and to live out your life alone. It was a group of people who were marginalized by society. They just didn't matter anymore. Jesus, interestingly, Jesus doesn't turn and push him away. There are all kinds of social things that are going on in these few verses that we just read. But the reality is that when this guy came to him, Jesus had a conversation with him. Jesus healed him. Jesus put him back into society that had marginalized him. Let's talk about the marginalized of our society. You know, it's a hard conversation to have because by definition, those people in our society that are marginalized, we train ourselves not to see them. That's just part of the way that goes. So let me just give you a couple of things. Uh, how about when you pull up to an intersection here in town and there are those people there who are asking for money or some kind of an assistance from you? How, what do you do in those times? I've taken it upon myself to study human nature a little bit in these kind of situations. And so uh, what I find is I start looking at other cars and how they deal with those people. You know what most people do? They avoid, at any cost, they avoid eye contact with that person. Marginalized. Not human. Not worth my attention. Make me feel uncomfortable. We have marginalized all over in our world today. Mental illness and people who suffer from that. I buried my brother-in-law who suffered from a mental illness all of the time that I knew him from the time we were in high school. We marginalize people because they don't fit the way we want to do our lives. And they're everywhere. We don't see them 
because we've trained ourselves not to see them. Jesus saw them. Jesus stepped into that. And for those who were nobodies, Jesus communicated this. With me, nobody's a nobody. Nobody is a nobody with Jesus Christ. Everybody is a somebody. The connection points, connection points for people who need the love and the life of Jesus Christ. As I close this, let me state the obvious. You know the problem with the obvious, right? The problem with the obvious is it's just so obvious we don't really see it sometimes. But we've been talking about bridges and connecting with people, and today we're talking specifically about connection points, and we've identified three sets of people that Jesus connected with. But Jesus teaches us something else here that's on the obvious side as it relates to us because we are those bridges who go out. Here's the obvious. If we don't connect on the other end, we don't have anything to take to the people that we're connecting with. I find this from Jesus himself. I skipped the passage. You all noticed that. Verse 35 says this, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and he went out to a desolate place And there he prayed. Can I suggest to you that if you don't take care of your personal spiritual business, you could connect with every person who's needy in the world around you and you will be no help to them. They don't need my help. They don't need your help. They don't need our help. They need the help that only Jesus Christ can bring. And if we don't stay connected with him, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I don't believe that's even possible. I believe scripture upholds that. I'm confident in that assertion here. It's not about losing a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I can so live my life that I don't have any fellowship with him at all. And so when I go connect with people, I don't have any of the love and life of Jesus to bring because all I bring is my own issues and my own agenda. What people need is for us to be connected with Jesus Christ. Are you today? If you walked out of this building into a parking lot and somebody with a physical need or somebody who is marginalized by society, you know, that's not that big of a stretch that that could happen here. If you were encountered by somebody with one of these needs, are you in a position with Jesus Christ to share his love and his life with them? If not, you're in the right place And it's the right time to go before a holy God and Jesus Christ and say, you know what, I haven't taken care of my own spiritual business, but I want to fix that right now. This invitation time could be that time for you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's where you need to start. This invitation time is for you. I'd love to talk with you and share with you about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to connect with him and him bring you the life that only he can give. How is it for you today? Let's pray. Father, as we come to this time that we set aside to push everything else aside before we go back out into a busy world and a busy afternoon full of all kinds of distractions, in these few moments that we have left here today, we ask you to do a work in each of our lives. We believe that Scripture is full of evidence that you meet us where we are. 
but you're not content to leave us where we are. You want to take us deep into that life and deep into that love that you bring through Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would have freedom to work among us today, change lives, break down strongholds, give us a commitment to be the bridges and collectively to be a bridge in this community, connecting people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. And do that starting now is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and let's sing together this time of invitation.